Welcome back, Red Cube listeners. Today, we're continuing our conversation with Yvonne Frost from Populo. If you haven't listened to the first part of this discussion yet, you should be able to find it in the feed of your choice. We know, Yvonne, from your Great Place to Work results that the practices you shared there are working for Populo. What I'd say is there's also organizations out there that would be doing the ask any question or the listening to the CEO practice. But for them, it just doesn't, it doesn't work um, and, and it's not seen as a great practice by employees. Is there any specific elements, if, if I was to take to listen to the CEO practice, Yvonne, any mm. specific elements or conditions you feel are important for something like that to, to have an impact on employee experience? You know, uh, Carl, and I'm mean, speaking obviously from from my experience of Populous, so I don't understand the issues in, in other organisations. But one thing that that I know is quite unique about Populo is our CEO Andrew Shopnessy, and uh, I know that trust is a is a is a key part of the whole great place to work ethos. And Andrew, uh, and I'm not speaking just uh, you know from my perspective, I think of the close to. 270 employees in Poplo, if they were listening to this, they'd nod. Our broader team kind of implicitly trust Andrew and they trust what he says. His actions always, you know, match his words. And he has this sincere and honest focus on his people. And people know that. And I think you know if that's contrived or if it's if it's genuine. And, and I think you're going to need that as a starting point. Trust, which actually when I started probably eight years ago working with the Great Place to Work team, I, I, I probably didn't really understand the power of that word, trust, but trust in the business, not just with the CEO, but all of the leaders, it can be very easily eroded. And actually that, Carl, you've touched on something which is which is very important in the fact that before you embark on any kind of listening, it's kind of an agreement between you and your employees that you're only, and you're only going to get one or two chances here. What they tell you, you have to act on. And if you don't, then your listening channel is broken and, and actually it may not be repairable. So I know Andrew would have worked closely with me in the early days around what did you hear? What are you going to do about it? How are you going to demonstrate that you've done something about it? And it's an unforgivable miss if you don't act on what's heard. So, so that's, that's, a, that's a piece, absolutely, trust and action. And trust, actually, you're not going to get the, the true feedback if, if you're not trusted. So that's the other piece, you know, and that comes back to that kind of traditional HR where actually the employees, you know, they, they were off in the corner of the building and you only went there if there was a challenge or a problem. So you're definitely not going to go there proactively to talk about something that could be a problem if you don't trust that 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 team. Uh, you know that that's an extreme example now, Carl. But I think all of these pieces are are interconnected. But building that relationship for the HR people operations team to build their credibility as knowledgeable, people centric, uh, value providing 
is key to people trusting you with their perspective. So be careful who's who's gathering the insight and whether it's actionable. And look, this comes back, Carl, right? This comes back to my customer success days. Whenever I had a customer that was unhappy, and I always said to my team, if you have a customer that is unhappy, it is your fault. It is our fault as a, collectively as a team. An unhappy customer, that's our fault. And then some people would say to me, oh, but that customer is being unreasonable. Or that customer doesn't realize, you know, that we, we can't do that in that time. And I said, follow the dots back. That's your fault. We didn't manage their ex expectations. We need to communicate to, to them uh, exactly what problems we can solve, what the timelines are, how we can support them. And we need to do that early and to stay close to, to our customers. So we've always, always had that ethos uh, in Poplo around that customer centricity that you look after your customers, you communicate with them, they're very clear on what's required, what they need to do, what we need to do to, to ultimately be successful. And you, you approach them with complete and utter empathy. And actually that kind of servant leader kind of a, a approach is what's needed. So I take exactly the same approach to our employees. And ultimately, if there's an unhappy employee in my business, that's my failure. And, and I take that personally. So that's, that's kind of our, 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 always has been my approach. And, and I think communication is key, is key to that. And building relationships, you know, trust is very linked to, to that. You know, building relationships with everyone in the business, leaders and employees, so that they, they, they trust you and they believe that you're credible and that you can, that you, you can deliver value and support them. You've given us a lot of stimulus there and given us a, a good process to follow because a big challenge we see in, in workplaces is moving from listening into action. And it's clearly a, a difficult thing to do. And it's not about creating a wish list, right? It's not about listening and we do everything. What happens in Populo when we'll say we, we, we do a listening piece and it, it's just an area we're not going to look at or we can't do anything on? Um, how do you follow that process, Drew? Well, I think there's two parts to that. Okay, so if there's something broken, right? If someone's giving, giving me feedback that there's a particular process in the business that's broken, we try to, to tackle that you know, usually you can make some incremental changes to get that process back online, you know, or similarly, if there's a channel communication broken, we need to just get on that and fix that. So, so usually they're kind of non-negotiable uh, actions. And I think in any part of the business, and I don't think there's anything unusual about this, actually, when you, from the people function, that's kind of the approach. You know, one of our values is high standards, is standard, and we do as a business hold ourselves accountable to that. So if something's broken, fix it. And, and there's no, we, we don't tolerate that kind of complacency in regards to, oh, we'll get to that, you know, in a month or two, let's, let's get on it and fix it. So that's one piece. But then obviously there's, there's feedback or ideas relating to a bigger body of work, right? And look, Poplo has been growing quickly for the last over six years. And I think if you were to write a list any day, and I think a lot of people will empathize to this, you could write a list any day. You could have 50 things on the list that could be done uh, at any one time. And I, I think, you know, feeding into that, there could be areas or ideas that, that need to be implemented. And, and as I say, this is not unique to, to the people function. It happens in, in every part of the business. 
And ultimately, I think to effectively deliver on a, on a strategy, what leaders need to do is they need to learn to say no. They'll probably be saying no more than yes. And, and maybe the no is a not now. So there's a bit, a bit of a distinction there. But the ability to ruthlessly prioritize, I believe, as in leadership, is one of those key competencies. Because one true path to failure is to try and to take everything on and you fail at everything. Now, Cahal, back to your point on, you know, you're hearing from employees, you know, ideas or, or things, they, you know, that, that they want done. I think the part that you have to be, and it's a bit of a craft, I think, in regards to, to ensuring that people don't get disengaged, that their thoughts or ideas aren't being actioned. And I believe in doing this with everything is bring it back to the strategy. So what's our business strategy? And let's look at that business strategy and then look at what needs to be done through the lens of that strategy. And what I find, and I, I haven't yet struggled to, to work out priorities on this, is usually when you do that, you can, you can very easily prioritize the top you know, three to five things that are, are next to be worked on. And, and then you can go back to the person who, who has that idea and use and, and as long as you understand the strategy, as long as they understand the strategy and you can take time to explain it to them, then it's a common sense approach to why that can't be done right now. And what, what you're actually doing is you're empowering that individual to, to become more strategic, to understand that their idea is a really good idea because there's lots of really good ideas. But right now, the business needs to focus on, and particularly in a people function, of doing you know these top five things and that and here's why those top five things are so important and i haven't yet come across anyone who who becomes um disillusioned or disengaged when it, when someone takes the time to explain that to them i think if you have and it comes back call to it comes back to that piece you get great people into the business you create that environment which is uh, they can do good work and built on trust and when you have those things in place, you can have those conversations um, and they land and they land correctly. I think the mistake, I suspect the mistake that people make is that they've missed step one or two or, 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 or haven't taken the time to, to communicate that clearly. And, and actually, I know, I know I keep coming back to this, but uh, is it Yates or the, no, I'm trying to think who's the biggest problem with communication uh, is the assumption that it took place? I think I think I'll I'll, I'll find that that quote because I had it on my desk for quite a while, Carl. But that communication is key. Brilliant, Yvonne. Communicate, communicate, communicate. I don't know who said that, but that's a that's 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 a popular one as well. And we'll we'll stick with communication then, Yvonne. So the dreaded meetings. And I know there's lots of talk about Zoom fatigue out there amongst many workplaces and meetings and more meetings and and more meetings. In Populo, how do you approach this topic of meetings and, and overload and, and, and all of that? Sure, Paul. Interestingly, uh, it's something we've been kind of grappling with for the last two or three years. Uh, you know, uh, there were peaks and troughs around uh, volumes of meetings and feedback around meetings. And, but it really came to a head, um, I think, uh, after March when, when we stepped into that lockdown. And what happened was because we're naturally a very collaborative group of people and, and, and we work through each other. 
But the feedback from the business was that uh, kind of overnight, people's calendars just became block booked with meetings and they had no space to actually make progress on their goals. And people were exhausted. It was having an impact on wellness. And it wasn't that they thought that any of those meetings weren't needed. It's just the volumes of meetings were, you know, off the scale. So we we said, right, we're going to we're going to tackle this. So the, the first thing we did is we spent some trying to, time trying to understand the, the problem. OK, we sat with different groups to understand it. We also sent out a kind of a detailed survey to try and understand what actually was happening, what was our, our, our people's perspective on meetings and and then, you know, kind of analyze that and kind of actually look to the key drivers around uh, meeting overload. What we did then was we went out and we did as much research as we could on best practice around meetings to try to see what did someone have some so had someone solved this problem somewhere in a way that we could uh, we could apply and there wasn't a quick solve instead actually it's a number of small things that need to be put in place to drive healthy behaviors around meetings so what we did then was with our learning and development function we built out a learning journey that would help change our behaviors and approach to meetings but that it was tailored in a way that matched the popular culture because we found a lot when we read and, and looked into it there were different approaches, but actually, you know, they were for different businesses at different stages in their growth uh, with different cultures and it just wouldn't land, you know. So a few things that we that we we worked on and, and they were simple things, but obviously, you know, like God, the simple things uh, build up to, to big things. So we worked with our employees to set the default meeting setting uh, in calendars to around 30 minutes. Right. Uh, we We talked about simple things which are big things people tend to set recurring meetings around projects and initiatives that are set to kind of have a weekly catch-up or whatever um, sometimes the attendees are too long and because it's in the calendar the, the necessity or frequency or cadence of that was was never challenged so we asked people to challenge their recurring meetings to make sure that that the, their, that the number of people who needed to attend but that there was a clear owner that actions and outcomes were tracked so that if a meeting didn't need to happen on a certain day, it was organized better. Okay. Then we really went, we were really focused on how, how our meetings actually ran. And, and it's interesting how sometimes your, your greatest strength can, can be a bit of a stumbling block. And we have a great crew of people and we've great relationships in Poplo. And we love, particularly when we were working remotely, you know, it was almost like the first five or 10 minutes is becoming a, a total social part of, of the meetings. And, and if it wasn't corrected, you know, you could lose 20 minutes of the meeting. Let's start running this meeting. Let's create space for the, the, the social interactions, but let's get this meeting moving as quickly as possible. So creating kind of key roles around meetings. So who's the note taker? Because you know yourself when you're back to back meetings, I think this is the empathy part of it because I completely get it. When you've back-to-back -back meetings all day, at the end of the day, you're still struggling to remember, oh, what, what did I agree? What was the action? When do I need that done? Um, how are we going to track that? And, and so having an effective note-taker who's sharing out notes afterwards is, is an important piece. 
watching the time. Sometimes we can be so overly optimistic of meetings that we're never going to get it all done or all those things decided and, and just being ruthless in, in what are the abs absolute outcomes or objectives of the meeting. Also, is there any prep that's needed for the meeting? So it's not fair on people to, to bring them along to a meeting without them really understanding. I know this is kind of basic stuff, but it's important stuff. And I think, I, I think Carl, what it is, is it, particularly during lockdown, people just, they knew this, but they'd regressed somehow just because of the impact of, of, of the volume of meetings, but making sure that people were prepared for their meetings and they had the capacity to, to answer and action what needed to be done in the meeting. And then another one, which is a really interesting one, which is we try to deal with this with humor because we created the, the learning journey was actually quite entertaining as well, is that piece around meeting etiquette. So look, we all take certain roles in meetings. Some people talk too much. Some people can look like they're disengaged. Some people are trying to, to spot all the problems and barriers to progress. And some people dare I say it Carl sometimes I do turn up late for meetings so you know trying to make sure that from a basic meeting etiquette that everyone was doing what needed to be done to make sure that this meeting would start on time finish on time reach the outcomes and do what needed to do and the, and the last piece we worked on really is um, working with leaders in the business to change this behavior now we absolutely have you know, we, we followed on with a survey and, and, and I think all of everything that we did, people noticed the change in behaviours. There was a reduction in meetings, but things have, have started to, I, I, I suspect as we've got busier, even over the last quarter, we may need to refresh on, on some of those, uh, those original kind of drivers of meeting overload. But really what it was, you know, and, and I think, you know, it really did uh, drive change, but it's working you know, giving people the autonomy to run the meetings in an effective way, but trusting them to do it. And, and I, th I think that that worked quite well. But it, look, I, I think, Carl, it's a little bit like uh, we all know, we all know what, what nutritious eating is. And uh, we kind of go through peaks and troughs of eating healthily and, and then ordering pizza. So it's, uh, I think, naturally in the business, I think it's something that we're all going to have to battle on, on the meeting overload problem. Absolutely. Yeah. And yes, it can be seen as basic, but it's the basics that are really important in terms of the culture. Um, I'm, I'm really disappointed to hear that there's no meeting God out there or meeting guru out there that we can all learn from. But clearly you took ideas from different sources yeah. and, um, and, and brought a structure to it, which is, which is really important. So lots of ideas there. Um, Yvonne, I'm really interested in things that we try that don't work, right? So for me, it's probably trying to put together flat pack furniture I guess and, and it never works for me but any any examples of practices that you've introduced in Populo thought it was a good idea and then it just didn't land for whatever reason yeah I, I think probably lots of those I could probably come up with a list but uh, you know and I think sometimes then you know it's not even the practice you brought in it's the timing of it or the state the business is at is not ready for it but two pieces that that we interestingly which probably worked initially and then we outgrew it but one was you know working with yourself Carl in the early days when you were much smaller we brought together one central great place to work team to try and action some of the feedback that came back through the survey and that was a cross-functional employee group 
who then would work with the, the senior leadership team, uh, you know, as required, depending on the feedback area or topic. And that worked initially. What I found then was that the, the scope of the survey was, it was too broad on what needed to be actioned and the approach was wrong. So what we did was we actually looked at, instead of having one great place to work team, we created a number of teams focused on specific areas that they that the individuals within that team are passionate about and that has worked really effectively so for example you know instead of having one broad great place to work team we have a, a wellness team and that team has made great progress first of all people opted into it because they're they're passionate about wellness so that you're already winning because it's something that people really care about. I know they personally have opted in to tackle that issue. It means then that you're giving that team as well, you know, the autonomy. I work very closely with them, but giving them the autonomy to solve the problems that they see or the opportunities uh, for, for wellness in a way that excites them and interests them. So you get this really high level of engagement and innovation and, and fun and, and ownership on, on that topic. So we've wellness, we've a sustainability team. I think we were nominated for sustainability team of the year last year, I believe. But like that, you know, they've just just taken it and, and gone with it and, and just do incredible work and better work than I could ever do on the topic because it's just the, the enthusiasm and excitement. Another one we have is diversity and inclusion. And that's really, you know, played a part in the last 12 months with all the kind of international challenges, and particularly in the US, uh, Black Lives Matter and all the rest. It's just that people felt like they were able to, to impact issues and to bring knowledge and insight into the business about things they're passionate about. So, so that approach from having one central great place to work team to we also have their sports and social team, which actually probably are our longest running team in the business. And what they come up with is just, you know, you, you wouldn't get those results from from a, a, a team focused on a broader scope. So that 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 definitely is, is something that we we had to change. We weren't doing well one way and we, we adapted. Another one, which is which is an interesting one, and I still probably haven't cracked that properly, but I think the fundamental approach that I was taking at the start was wrong. And I think it was a bit traditional in the fact that around kind of emerging leaders in the business. And I think that is something that that probably happened in, in the past where, where a number of, of kind of key people who, who people felt were on a, a manager track who had that ability in the future and that you'd kind of bring them together and that you'd put them on a track and obviously, you know, just kind of, I suppose, identify them and they, you know, that they, they saw themselves on a particular track. And I think that was a mistake, actually. I, I think because coming back to my customer piece, you need to manage people's expectations as well. Absolutely, you know, you, you communicate that, they're, that there's, you know, and their manager communicates that you can see that there's high, they have high potential, that the business is really invested in their progression and their future and putting the, the tools in place and the, the track in place to get them where they need to go to. But I think the mistake you made, you don't need to do that through building together a group of people it's actually just how you work to do that and how your manager focuses on their learning and development and how the manager and the broader business focus on putting things in place to, to address high potential people who are 
moving at a faster track and actually creating that culture of learning is more important than than having a particular track specifically focused on on that group I don't know if i'm explaining myself very well but i think it's something that we evolved our practices but definitely when i started out on that kind of traditional emerging leaders kind of group it just it was a bit clunky and i think ultimately it didn't achieve its objectives and it probably wasn't a great experience for the people in it whereas creating personalized development tracks for emerging leaders as part of a broader culture of learning and tailoring that that development track to their needs and wants is bet is a better approach and i think I, 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 that was one thing i learned the hard way Brilliant, Yvonne. Two great, two great examples shared there. We're, we're almost uh, at our time together, so we, we, might, uh, we might finish up with a rapid-fire get-to-know-Yvonne um, better. Sure. So, um, so, Yvonne, Netflix or TV? Oh, hard one. Uh, uh, Netflix. Uh, Netflix, I think. Yeah, definitely Netflix. Any shows? I'm, I'm contradicting myself now because I've said Netflix, but I've just finished Mayor of Easttown with Kate Winslet, which was a TV program. Uh, so I'm flipping flopping here, Carl. But <laughs> it, it's probably the most memorable program I've just finished. But in general, I find the fact you can flick on Netflix and hopefully find something at any time, any stage of the night. I've, I've four kids at home, so TV can be less reliable, uh, whereas Netflix is, is just easily accessible. But Mayor of Easttown with Kate Winslet, I love that. And, and what I loved about it was that, that Kate Winslet's character is, is just so so real and relatable. I, I don't think we have enough that, of that in TV. Very good. Good recommendation there. Um, Favourite county? Oh, well, Carl, you know I live in Cork. I mean, that would be blasphemy if I mentioned any other county. It has to be, it has to be Cork. And I, 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 I was laughing, actually, uh, with your colleague Jim there. Uh, with the la- I think we, I did a, a webinar with him back in, in the summer, and it was probably the stage where you're allowed to stay within your county. And it was definitely a whole piece in Cork. Sure, where else would you want to go? As long as we can get around our own county, we, we'll stay like this forever. Sure, it's absolutely fine. But yeah, I have to say, I, I, I actually was born in Wicklow, Carl. So, and I grew up here till I was 10, but I've completely been converted to a Cork woman. There's no escaping it now. Right, the real Republic of, uh, of Cork. Um, Yvonne, any, any advice to, to yourself, I suppose, starting out on, on, on your career? Yeah, Carl, uh, great question. Uh, I think if I could talk to myself uh, probably 20 years ago, I'd say don't be so hard on yourself. I think, uh, and I don't think it's unique to me in the fact that I probably had a very unhealthy uh, relationship with, with failure. And when I did something wrong or if I didn't get something right, I'd sit and stew on it forever and I'd be very hard on myself and, uh, and it's really silly. And I actually think it's, it's probably something that we're all programmed from, from our educational system to, to not be resilient around failure and failure is a key part of growth. And we just not, we're not taught that in school. Actually, we have the, we have the tests and the red ink and tend to make a big deal when we make mistakes. Whereas actually in, in, in our career and in business, when you make a mistake it means that you're doing something you're trying something the big mistake is not learning from it but i think i if i went back to myself here in my career and i think it's something that we need to work on particularly with uh young girls um because they're you know they're being kind of programmed to be risk averse we need to we need to work on that it's something i'm a bit passionate about actually but it's it's to it's to don't don't be so hard on myself and uh break something that's what i, I say sometimes just go break something 
learn from it and, and it's, it's the only way you're going to learn and grow yeah it's all learning right it is absolutely yeah. it's an important message for us to for, for all of us to 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 to, to hold on to um yvonne really appreciate the time today um really appreciate your partnership uh, you've led the charge in Populo along with your colleagues and building a great culture consistently over the last number of years and, and your data backs up uh, all the examples you shared with us today so Yvonne thank you very much for joining us thanks Carl thanks Brilliant. Redcube listeners, thank you very much for joining us today. Please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already done so. And of course, leave us a review and tell us what topics would you like us to cover in the future.